We're in our fifth week of uh, looking at what does it mean to be emotionally mature. And I think uh, to just start up, we've said it most weeks, to be emotionally mature is not a a term that we're kind of stealing from uh, some cultural place. To be emotionally mature is is our view on Scripture. And how does Jesus teach us to become a fully-orbed, mature human being? It's so common that for many of us, we misunderstand what maturity really means. And today I want to ask you that exact question. How do you know if you're growing into maturity? I'm speaking to you if you're a follower of Jesus. How do you know if you're growing into spiritual maturity as a follower of Jesus? But, but maybe you're not a follower of Jesus. Maybe you've been roped in by a friend and you're sitting in the lounge or you've clicked on and suddenly you're watching and you're wondering, why am I watching this guy speak? My question to you is also, how do you know if you're growing into maturity? How do you know if you're actually progressing into some sort of maturity? It's a good question, right? Are you making strides in your personal health, in your emotional health, in the kind of person you're becoming? These are very big, very important questions. I know we can find it easy to work out other parts of our lives, whether we're growing mature. uh, mature. Physically, you know, it's easy. You look last week and you go, how long did it take me to run 5Ks? This week, I was quicker. Hooray, I'm getting physically more mature. I'm strengthening up. Or I was slower. Oh, I'm going backwards. Uh, The same could be true in your vocation. You ask your boss at the end of your annual review, how am I doing? The boss goes, you're doing better. The review says your your progress is good. Hooray, you get the, the metrics and you know you're moving forward and you celebrate. Question is, how do you know if you're growing spiritually? How do you know if you're actually progressing at an emotional maturing way? How do you know if you're becoming more the kind of person Jesus would have you become? It's a really important and yet difficult question to answer. Uh, the typical metrics, maybe if you've grown up in church for a long time, would have been things like, well, I don't, I'm not sinning much. And sin has got a narrow band of kind of moralistic behavioral things that you're making sure you're keeping your nose clean and you're not doing anything too silly. Maybe it's, for you, it was about reading the Bible. I know for myself, if I ask people as a pastor, how are you doing? How's your spiritual life? The first answer is, well, I'm reading my Bible, or, oh, my devotional life's not that great. And uh, that can often be the measure of how someone might think they're doing. Or, I'm learning more about God, and people are studying theology, could be the measure of their own maturity. Or, I'm serving more in my church. That list is a list of good things, right? Serving, we don't want to sin, we, don't, you know, we want to read our Bibles. Those are all good things, but are those the measures of maturity? Well, how do you measure maturity? I want you to really think about this. It's really important. So we're going to read a passage of Scripture. It's a passage of Scripture that you normally hear at weddings. 1 Corinthians 13. It's so famous for being read at weddings that when you see this passage of Scripture, you kind of imagine it in a light pastel color on a card, and on the other side is the words to some hymn, and you read 1 Corinthians 13, and it's in cursive, and it's gray, and you're sitting under trees at some sort of wedding space, and you read 1 Corinthians 13. Love is, and you get descriptions of love. But if you actually read into the context of 1 Corinthians 13, you're going to realize that Paul, who's writing to the church in Corinth, 
is not in a wedding mood at all. He is looking at a group of people who have been misunderstanding what it means to be spiritually mature. They have been misreading what it means to actually grow in the faith. You see, this is a church that was seeing all kinds of amazing stuff happening right in their midst. There was people with great faith, and people were getting healed, and great signs and wonders were happening in this church. Some were, most actually, were really immoral from a sexual perspective, and, and yet God was just really moving amongst their midst. And so there were some who were going, we need to fix our morality. That's what will make us more mature. Others were going, we need to be more generous. That's what will make us more mature. Others were saying, we need more signs and wonders, great faith that'll move mountains. That's what'll make us mature. And there's this big argument about what does it mean to be mature, even in that community. So Paul writes, and no, he doesn't write this passage primarily for weddings. He writes it to say, guys, you're missing what maturity is all about. You're missing what it means to truly grow. And so here we go. We pick up from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the last verse And then into 13. So here it goes. And yet I will show you the most excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men or angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part that when completeness comes, what is in part disappears When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. This is God's word. Lord, as we look into your word, we want you to define what maturity is for us. We pray that you would coach us in finding your heart as we look into the scriptures and we look into your life, Jesus. We pray that you would coach us. We humble ourselves under your mighty word and ask that you would speak to us. Whether we are new to faith, whether we are not certain of you, or whether we've been serving you for a long time, I pray that you would speak to us in your name, Jesus. Amen. So Paul cuts in. He's been teaching about gifts, and he's been teaching about growing, and he's been teaching this church how to live well amongst each other. And he takes a moment, and he stops, and he says, I want to show you. I used to be a child. Then I grew up. I want to show you what it means for you to grow into maturity. 
and he chooses love. I want to suggest to you today that if you want to understand what maturity is, you need to make love the measure of your maturity. Make love the measure of your maturity. Paul sees people and how easily they can get sidetracked by what it means to really grow. And he says, slow down. Take a deep breath and work out what are the real metrics. How do you really measure your life? And I don't know if you picked it up, but my two standouts as I was reading that was in verse 1 where he says, without love, our lives will be like a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. It's like a, a kind of noise without melody. A, tra- a tragedy, if you know that the, the melody that your life can make. What a thought that your life can make melody, and yet you could just end up being a clanging symbol if you don't have love. Or in verse 13, he kind of wraps up his big uh, speech on what it means to mature, and he says, now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. The greatest of these is love. So, let's look through some diagnostics. Let's, in a way, look at the last few weeks of what it means to grow into emotional maturity, and let's try for a moment to work out, am I maturing? Think of how many of us, either ourselves or loved ones, have gone to the doctor, and you go to the doctor and you get a diagnosis that is not favorable. It's, It's bad news. And the doctor says, it's not all bad news. Listen to me. He has three questions. You can keep asking yourself as you check your body. Is this happening? Is this happening? Is this happening? And if these three things are happening, your body's moving in the right direction. You're okay. I want to suggest three questions you can ask your spiritual life. And if you can answer these positively, you're moving in the right direction. You're moving towards maturity. So here they are. First question is this. Am I getting better at receiving God's love more than just receiving God's assistance? Am I getting better at receiving God's love more than just his assistance? The key word here in this first point is receive. Am I getting better at receiving God's love? You see, this is the beginning of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. In fact, it's the beginning of what it means to be human. You're born into the world, and you need to learn to get. You've got nothing to give as you're born, and you learn to receive love. And it's something we should never graduate from. The problem with Western society is we get told the more you grow into maturity, the more independent you become until you move out of home, and then you get a job, and you never need to ask anyone for help ever again says Western society. The Bible says no. The Bible says God moved towards you in love and he will continue for as long as you're alive, moving towards you in love because you and I are unable to survive from a spiritual, emotional, relational perspective without first being loved, without first receiving love. It's so counterintuitive. But look at what this description of love is. Love is patient. Love is kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It's not proud. It doesn't dishonor things. Love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. What is this description of? Where did Paul get these descriptors of love? Did you think he just went for a walk one day, sucked his thumb, and decided that's a good descriptor of love? 
Of course not. Paul went to look at the life of Jesus, the the Savior of the world, the one who embodied love, who incarnately came down from heaven to earth and showed what love is. And he put pen to paper and said, this is what love is. And he described God in Jesus Christ. That's what love is. And he says to us, do you know how to receive this? Receiving is sometimes harder than than giving. And Jesus has this amazing moment. Just picture it. He's coming to the end of his life and his ministry. He knows the cross is coming soon. And in Luke chapter 19, he has this moment as he stops and he pauses. He gets a, a good vantage point over Jerusalem. And he looks down and it says he weeps. It says as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. Paraphrase what he's saying. If only you knew how to receive my love. If only you knew the one who loved you so much was walking your very streets. If only you knew the one who could bring your soul peace, who could teach you how to be present again, who could steal the anxiety out of your heart and replace it with joy. If only you knew he was walking right by you all these years. You would have said yes, but you didn't know how to receive something so profound in the Christian gospel about learning to receive. You're growing in maturity if you are learning to receive God's love, not just his assistance, by the way. There were many who followed Jesus up the mountains as he turned you know, a couple of loaves into multiple loaves. There were many who knew that they could get their body healed if they could get close to Jesus. There were many who knew they might just be wowed by a miracle if they got close to him. They wanted his assistance, but not many wanted his love. The last four weeks, we've been journeying into answering the question, what does it mean to let God actually love you? In week one, we said, look beneath the surface. To look beneath the surface is not just to take a bit of a psyche journey into what's going on underneath here. It's to allow God into the parts of your life that you need to let him in, that you need to let him love you in. The, the, The doubts, the dreads, the fears, the anxieties, the problems of life that we we often are too afraid to dig under. But Jesus says, Would you let me in? Would you receive my love in those places? This is a fresh journey for myself and and for Nick's, by the way. We're in the space of consistently going, whoa, we we, we need to trust God to go a little deeper. I've got some some unholy habits that I've I've developed that I need to let God in. Some, Some patterns of believing, some patterns of thinking, some emotional skews that are not right underneath. That God is coaching me and that God is teaching me on how to receive his love in those places. Well, would you let go beneath the surface? That's what we looked at in, in, in week one. Then we talked about letting him break you free from the power of the past, uh, realizing that we have inherited some un- unbiblical commands. Our, our families, our, our loved ones, our history have taught us some things that have become normative for us. That's just the way life is. That's just how humans are. That's just how we think. That's how granddad did it. That's how we do it. That's how it's always been done But it's not the teachings of Jesus. It's not the way of love. And we actually learn to look back and go, with the help of Jesus, 
this far and no further. We're ending this thing. We're not going to carry on on this journey. We let God love us by breaking us free from the power of the past or embracing limits as doors. We looked at that last week. How do we see our limits not as problems but as opportunities? To realize that, hey, some of my emotional and mental uh, deficiencies that I'm not just, I'm really far from perfect, those could be doors to trust God, to keep me humble. Hey, some of my, my challenges, physical, my lack of energy, whatever it may be, my financial situation, my lack of work, whatever it is that you're facing, those aren't just problems to get through. Those are opportunities to see God come and be strong, to show his love, to, to show himself to us to reveal his power, whatever it may be. Weakness and limitations are not problems, they're opportunities. Hey, this is letting God love us. This is about not just getting some assistance when we need a bit of help here and there. This is about letting God be truly loving to us. Hey, and of course, in pain and grief, bringing God in rather than waiting till we get to the other side and often we do that, right? We, we cover up our pain and our grief, and once we think we've sort of sorted it out, we emerge from the other side and go, okay, God, okay, church, I'm back. God says, no, let me in as we go through this, and I will love you. Receiving isn't easy. I've got a buddy, Rich, who's been working. Uh, Richard has been working with homeless people for upwards of 15 years. It's been his passion to help people who are homeless and addicted and destitute to get a fresh start in life. And man, oh man, has he poured his life into this. He's read, he's studied, he's lived. He's had more meals on the streets with people than he could count ever. He has spent so much time loving. He's created uh, shelters and environments for people to be able to break free from all the addictive and unhealthy behaviors so that they can get on their feet and basically provided every avenue of support to help a person get on their feet from, uh, from employment to dealing with their addictions, to emotional growth, to relational support, to community support, everything. But do you know how few people say, yes, would you help me in every area? Would you let me actually help me through my addictions, help me through my relational pain? You can ask Richard. He'll tell you story after story. It's, it's so interesting how people don't know how to receive. And we too have a kind of emotional squalor that we live in, a kind of homelessness that we need to keep breaking free from and letting God love us in every area, learning to receive his grace, learning to let him love us. How are you doing at receiving? It's, if you're growing in your ability to receive God's love, not just his assistance, you're moving towards maturity. It takes time. It takes honesty. It takes a bit of vulnerability, but it is worth it. We start to move in the right direction. Hey, second question. Not only am I learning to receive God's love, but am I learning to love God? Am I growing in my love for God? Are you growing in your love for God? Remember his, his love becoming our joy? He is uh, patient, kind, merciful. His love never fails. All, all the beautiful fruits of the Spirit, that describes God. The call for us, I suppose, is that we ought to be growing in a joy in that. We ought to be going more wow by his love day by day. It's not always a feeling, by the way. I've got to keep reminding uh, friends and myself even and, and our life group all the time, hey guys, growing in love for God isn't always growing in feelings of affection. It can ultimately, I think, be a growing feeling of affection. But, but the feelings kind of are a bit of a roller coaster. 
But that genuine sense of trust is what I'm talking about here. Learning to trust that God's love is what you really need. You see, even in this wonderful thing of learning to love God, it's actually about learning to trust that He loves us. That, that's the journey of loving God is, Lord, I trust that you love me. This is real basics, hey? I think many of us go, I've heard this before, but I don't think we can ever stop being reminded of this beautiful fact that first we learn to receive, second we learn to give, and we learn to derive joy from giving, joy from giving trust in Jesus. This is where we learn to include God in the areas of our life that we often want to exclude others or God. It's those areas maybe where we feel ashamed, where we feel we just don't want to go to, those areas in our life where we feel are easy to just push out of the way, our vulnerabilities, the psalmists take us there. I was talking to a buddy yesterday who was saying, I'm amazed by the psalms. They are just so amazing because these guys are so honest. You see, learning to love God is not about learning to say the right things at the right times. It's about learning to say the real things at the right times. To say, I'm really in pain today, God. I am really disappointed today. I am really sad by what is happening in our world, in my world, in whatever's going on in my life. And I need your help. I need you to make sense of this because it isn't making sense right now. That's what it means to grow in love to, with God, is, is to grow in honesty with God, to grow in a genuine relationship where you're finding deepening joy in simply presenting your whole life. No holes barred, not keeping anything from Him. You're bringing your hurts, your habits, your hang-ups, your time, your talents, your treasures, and you're saying, God, all of this, it's yours. Teach me. My money, my time, my talents, the stuff I've got, I want to increasingly trust that you could do a better job with it if I let you show me how to do it, then I can if I'm holding on with everything I've got. So a person who's maturing, says Paul, is, is making love the measure. Making love the measure. A measure of love first, that we receive God's love. Secondly, that we give God love. And then thirdly, probably most practically and easy to measure, is that we love others. We love others. This is probably where we all read 1 Corinthians 13. We just go straight to that application. Love is patient. Am I patient? Love is kind. Am I kind? That's kind of how we read a lot of 1 Corinthians 13. A lot of people will go, I'm loving. You know, I, I work hard. I provide a living for people. I, I, you know, I care for people. I keep doing the same thing over and over. I'm a loving guy. I'm a loving girl. Good. But, but what if you scratch a little deeper? Uh, what if you look at, are you present? How's your listening? I'm talking to myself here. How's your, how's your speaking? How's your, your genuine sense of awareness of what other people are going through? How's your genuine sense of empathy? Uh, Paul writes beautifully about what love for others should look like when he describes love for others and he compares it to the incarnation of Jesus. He, he basically says it like this in Philippians chapter 2. He says in verse 5, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus Christ, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death 
even death on a cross. This is like one of the most miraculous parts of the gospel. The king of heaven decides that he will step off of the comforts and the perfection of heaven and he will move into earth. It's like getting Prince William and saying, Prince William, you have to go and show love. And he says, I will step out of Buckingham Palace and I will choose to live in the lowest of the townships and I will choose to love everyone there and I will spend the rest of my life there. Leaving the comforts of one space, moving to another, times that by a thousand and consider what Jesus left and what he entered into. And that is what this passage says, your love should be like Jesus, who was in very nature God, but he came and he lived and became like us. This is love. And Paul says, your love needs to be incarnational. That's the word. That's the fancy theological word, which is to say, he left heaven and he incarnated amongst us. He lived amongst us and he became an embodiment of love. Your love needs to have have a face, have a voice, have ears to be able to actually be in the moment. This is super challenging for me. There's two kind of parts to this. Firstly, he enters into our world. That's what Jesus does. He entered into our world. And then he, at the same time, remains true to himself. Enters into our world, but remains true to himself. And those are the two big facets of incarnational loving, is that we learn to enter into other people's world whilst we remain true to who God's called us to be. Enter in, but don't lose identity. Enter into people's space, but don't lose that sense of who God's called you to be. There are so many ways we could look at what it means to love. And I want to suggest just two aspects of loving incarnationally that could possibly kickstart us. And these are super challenging. As I've gone through this, I found myself going, if I could get these two right, my world will be changed forever. If I could learn to love a little more like this. The first one is to love incarnationally by listening, listening incarnationally. Listening incarnationally. David Augsburger, he sums it up. He says this, Being heard is so close to being loved that for the average person, they are almost indistinguishable. Being heard. I know how much I love being heard. That's why I wait for people to finish their sentences and I say what I want to say because I want to be heard. Spot the problem there, right? The only kind of listening that I was taught up till probably the age of 35 was listen so that you can speak afterwards. And either you're going to give advice, you're going to give an opinion, you're going to give a a correction, you're going to defend yourself, but you're going to bring something that's going to, you know, be better than what you just heard. We listen to, to speak so often. And yet Jesus teaches us that we should listen incarnationally. We should enter into another person's world. And not listen so that we can speak back, but listen so that we can actually hear. I've not got this. I found myself more like a machine gun who listens and waits for the opportunity to shoot back something equally awesome. And that's just not incarnational listening. Incarnational listening is about respecting others' thoughts. It's about listening to others' fears and and feelings. It's about actually going, so can I just clarify, did I hear you say this? And and do you feel like you've shared everything? I'm trying to work out exactly what it is you're trying to tell me right now. 
and to listen until you feel like the person feels they've been heard. This is so different to the kind of listening I'm used to, the kind of listening that I've been doing over my life, and I find myself going, how do I enter into people's world? How do you listen like Jesus, become a part of other people's worlds rather than trying to listen so that you can send something back like a tennis player, waiting for the smash so that you can give it back? How are we doing in listening incarnationally? What about speaking incarnationally? Entering into people's worlds, not to share what we've got to make ourselves feel better, look better, but to actually speak in a way that is bringing respect. The, the words of Jesus brought life and brought healing and brought redemption to the world. Do you know that in the gospel, if you're a follower of Jesus, you've got equal power to bring life and healing and redemption back to the world with the, the tender, gentle, loving, encouraging words that you get to bring? Hey, sometimes strong, sometimes challenging. Of course, Jesus brought those too. But to listen incarnationally is to enter into others' worlds with our words, respectful, giving thought to our words, not simply blurting them out. Honesty, saying what you, you truly think and feel rather than soft peddling and distorting and trying to, you know, beat about the bush. Speaking clearly, uh, directly, rather than just being vague or, or dropping hints. Or speaking in a timely fashion, considering the moments, understanding that some moments are just simply better than others to speak. Some conversations require a different timing and placement. You notice when the person is tired or irritated or short on time and you choose to wait until they're more relaxed to actually talk about something, to enter into other people's worlds. We could talk all day about what it means to love incarnationally, but if we could get the listening and the speaking right, we might find that everything else follows. We listen by entering in. We, we speak by trying to be empathetic about what's going on in other people's worlds. And whilst we do that, we stay true to who God has called us to be. We don't chameleon and we don't callous up. Chameleon is basically you enter into someone's world and you become their world. You simply blend in and look exactly like them. That's not the call. Callous is simply to go, you know what? I'm staying true to myself and I can't be bothered about what's going on in their world. We're called to enter in but stay true. Only the gospel gives us the identity of love to say, I can love without needing to defend who I am. God has given me a true sense of who I am, which is really the emotional health journey. It's about freshly discovering who has God called us to be? How do we stay true to ourselves in the journey of growth and, and progress and discipleship whilst we learn to love the world well. That, that's kind of what we've been up to over the last while. I'm going to land in a time of prayer, but I want to just encourage us again. And for me, I need to go back over the last five weeks, and I need to slowly work through these things just every couple of months and make sure that I am receiving God's love, that I'm learning to love God more, that I am making love the measure of maturity. Not love as defined by culture, not love as defined by Hollywood or your, uh, your favorite soap opera. Love as defined by Jesus, the incarnate Jesus, the one who showed us what love actually is. It's strong, it's gentle, it's kind. It's, it's 1 Corinthians 13 brought into the life of Jesus. I've heard a number of people 
over the last years as we planted this church in Bloberg and have had so many opportunities brought their way, some amazing promotions. I've had a number of stories where people have said, I had this opportunity, and and they've asked us to pray with them. Do I take this promotion? It's going to ask more hours. It's going to make me travel a little more. And some have said yes because it's been the right season and the right time, and some have said no because they realize that actually they're losing their ability to love if they say yes. They're saying no to love. They're saying yes to, to uh, increased status or, or increased bank balance or whatever it may be. But, but love has not been the measure of their maturity. And so I've watched as some people have said to their bosses, no, thank you. It's this far and no further. I've drawn a line on how much time I can give to this space. I've drawn a line on how much I can offer here. That's not always the right decision, by the way. But I've been so inspired when love has been the measure, when the mission and the purpose and the, the placing of Jesus in one's life has said some powerful no's. This is a community of people who are learning to make love the measure, not just assistance. We don't, we're not the church who's looking for God to come fix a few things. We're the church who's asking God to love us so that we can love him and love the world better. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for your beautiful love. I thank you that as we sit in our different spaces dotted around the western seaboard and and other spots probably in the country and even the world, that you are teaching us to make love the measure. Few people don't want to grow in maturity. We all want to grow. We all want to become more mature. And our, our ask of you, by the help of the Holy Spirit, is that you would coach us when we start to make lesser things the measure. Good things, but not the primary thing. We pray that you would coach us to make love the measure. As we love people, as we love you, would you teach us how to do that better? Would you teach us how to say better yeses and better noes? Would you teach us how to uh, care for people? Would you teach us how to enter into others' worlds? so that we would be those who make love the measure. In Jesus' name, amen. Over to Tawanda.